Yeah, it's the Pop Mart opener all over again. Oh boy. You welcome guys have to, no idea. <laughs> yeah, welcome to episode number 60, lucky number 60 of the At YouTube podcast, where Is we attempt... 60? Yeah, it's been 60 episodes. We we troubleshoot things on the internet for half an hour and then try and actually have a conversation about something that we were actually going to talk about uh, half an hour ago. Uh, and Tim is talking and I cannot hear him. So we might, be- <laughs> he's, he's just trolling us. right Yeah. Now. So uh, this, is, this, this, this last half hour has been like the uh, Santa Clara show when they tried to play with or without you. And Adam needed about 45 to 60 seconds to figure out where he was supposed to start playing. And that's what we've just been through. You would think that they would know how to play with or without you after all this time, but uh, I, Chris Azaro, Adam, it happened. <laughs> this, and and I'll just def- defend myself a little bit. I have not played <laughs> this podcast six thousand times in my life, <laughs> and there's more right, than four notes. <laughs> sixty, not six thousand. <laughs> so, uh, your move, Adam Clayton, I guess. But so we think we're doing a podcast right now, but technically we're not really positive, right? Exactly. Eric Bob G is watching us. So we know that there's at least one person who is going to hear and possibly even see most of this knock on wood. So the voices you're hearing in case you're not aware and you're not watching like Eric Bob G is at goodstuff.fm slash live is to my, oh boy, my left as I look at it, but (laughs) is Matt McGee. Welcome back to the show. (laughs) Hi, Chris. It's great to be here. I think we're here. Yeah. And somewhere down below is uh, Tim Newfeld. Welcome back to the show, Tim. Hello, hello from California. There is no end to love. <laughs> and diagonally, or beside Tim, in a growing and shrinking box that alternates between Larry's drum kit to full-on, uh, full-face nose shot, is uh, Mason, who's new to the show, new to the sites. Welcome, Mason. Oh. Hey, team. How's it going? Okay. <laughs> you almost Scared psyched me. us out, too. So when uh, when somebody's first time on the show, we spend a couple minutes just asking them how and when you got into you two, and with with all due respect, Mason. Um, well, I was telling Matt before you joined. My son is actually named Mason, and so it might sort of just trigger a, Whoa, a another res- one a response to like shout at you for not listening or <laughs> go do the dishes or whatever. Yeah. So I, I apologize if that comes out on the show, the dad gene. But uh, and you also look young enough to have literally just discovered you two yesterday, but I know that's not the case. So how did you get into you two? Thanks dad. Um, well, it's a long story. Um, I actually, I enjoy, I enjoy telling the story because I, I always like the looks that I get from people, but, um, it was get on your boots. That was my first time that it clicked where I realized yes. that you two was a thing and people don't like that because it's seen as their low point. But for me, that was my entry. So I'm kind of nostalgic towards that. And that was, uh, I was about when I was 14 or 15, and it's just been a gradual, well, actually, yeah, it's been about eight years as a fan now, which is crazy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I had a cognizant aware, awareness of them before that, but it wasn't, they were kind of like the Beatles, where I, I, I knew Ringo, and I knew Paul, and I knew John, but I didn't, like, know them. So, um, yeah, so it's, I've been, but once once I was a fan, I just, I couldn't and won't stop, so. So did you go, uh, so get on the boots, did you go, get on your boots, did you go forward from there and then backwards or which way did you sort of go down the catalog? Well, uh, I actually, the day after, cause I saw the, yeah, I saw the music video on like VH1, if any other millennials remember that when it's a horrible sh- channel, but I saw it on VH1 and then the very next day I got my very first iPod, which is a rite of passage for people like me. And that was just the first song that I could think of. So I had it and I bought it off the iTunes store and I think I went I I went um back to how to dismantle atomic bomb because vertigo sounded familiar and then from there I bought war and that was the first album album that I listened to uh, all the way through so very nostalgic towards it nice this feels like we could spend an hour just like dissecting yeah. the origins of uh, how a millennial gets into you too but uh <laughs> I do have lots of questions not easy it's not yeah. easy uh, the, the get on the, it's, it's interesting though, the get on your boots was, and in particular the video was the one, cause it often with YouTube fans, as you're well aware, as you said, is kind of derided and not really looked as highly upon <laughs> in contrast to other videos and stuff. But, uh, that's cool. So 
There's at least one. One. Have you met other uh, fans that are yeah. of that vintage? Get on your boots, sort of entry point. I've been spit on a few times, but no, I haven't. I haven't met anybody who like who j- even likes get on your boots. So that's that would be a first. So. <laughs> Tim, you do I love this song. Yeah. I love the song. I'm trying to think yeah. of who was on that uh, that episode we did that defended. Okay, it. I have no problem with that song. Okay, <laughs> that's awesome. Future needs there a big kiss. The it, song needs a big kiss. Yeah, it, exactly. It's a, it's only a man of faith who will freely admit that he likes to get on your boots. I feel like we have to recognize that. I'm I'm secure <laughs> in my masculinity. <laughs> in your U2 fandom, yeah, I'm wearing yeah, my sexy you. boots right but. now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. For those not able to see, Tim actually just did a, a bicycle kick up in the air um, to show us his boots. So yeah. you just have to watch the video version to see that later. We'll save the the deep the deep dive on Mason's YouTube fandom uh, for another episode. But welcome to the show and welcome to the sites. And uh, this week, just where are we here? Two days ago, they YouTube played just a quick bit of news and recent happenings. YouTube played um, on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Played. I still haven't found what I'm looking for with the. Spontaneous air quotes uh, choir in the audience that popped up, and uh, also the little things that give you away. Um, just curious what you guys thought of the performance and uh, with 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 the. I thought I thought I love when they get all, all they all get together on TV like that, and I mm-hmm. thought um, I was so happy for our staffer Sherry because they actually spent like quality time talking about the Dalton brothers, mm-hmm. and Jimmy Kimmel had a photo. He had a photo that I'd never even mm-hmm. seen of the Dalton brothers, so I don't even know where that picture came from, and then. When Bono sang, you know, that little bit of Lucille on the couch, I was like, oh, my gosh, Sherry is probably beside herself right now. She's got to be in heaven. And so I was I I, just, I thought it was a, it was really good. The performances I thought were great. I the um, yeah, they had the gospel choir. So I still haven't found was very reminiscent of the Rattle and Hum version, which I remember back in a previous part of my fandom. I was kind of tired of hearing, but I kind of welcome it these days. And I thought the little thing sounded fantastic in the Kimmel studio. What'd you guys think? I was particularly satisfied because I was there November 18th, 1987 to not see the Daltons or not pay attention to the Daltons. <laughs> and uh, you and they I were, were in the, you and we I were, were in the stadium together long before we knew each other. Mason, where long were you? We knew where, did you? <laughs> Sorry. I'm just trying to make them feel old. Not, not. So um, I was, uh, I was eight years in development. Yeah. And I was really really fulfilling to hear um, a bit about the Daltons and to see the picture. And, and, you know, how does Kimmel come up with that stuff? Because even the band didn't recognize that picture or know of that picture. So, so that was really fun um, to see that. I thought still haven't found what I'm looking for. It did exactly what it should do in a place like that. And it surprised me because I didn't know I stayed off of Twitter and we're on the West coast. So we get the late feed and all that, even though it's filmed here in the West coast. But, uh, wow, that was cool to see the choir pop up out of the audience. That was um, what Willie Williams will try to do with the light in a show at that point and get the audience involved. And there they are. They're just doing it right in the studio. I love Bono just backing out and kind of, you know, doing this to the audience and giving it to him. And I couldn't even tell who was the choir and who was the audience. It was that kind of seamless and blended together. It was, it was a great moment, I thought, for them. And they looked like they were having fun. Do you think they'll uh, inspire inspired by that or motivated by that? They'll bring the choir on tour at all. I was wondering if they would might just drag them out for a couple of shows somehow. Yeah, my prediction was is that they were going to bring a choir um, out in each of their venues, but I haven't seen that happen yet. I think that would really be a fun fun piece to do. But... All right, and then uh, late breaking just just happened. <laughs> I don't know when, but recently, uh, <laughs> it's worth bringing up. Just a Twitter for, photo? Yeah, just for Adam's kimono, if nothing else. <laughs> Adam and Larry spotted at Whataburger. Uh, is that a is that a, like a chain in that's in Washington? Is it or no? That's somebody posted. I don't know where they. Yeah, it's. I've been. To, I've actually. I've been to Texas and I ate at a Whataburger, and I'm just. I'm. All, I couldn't be more impressed with their choice in uh, junk food. I really. <laughs> I. They got good burgers, so. Yeah, I just. I kind of want to. I kind of just want to stop and and just like let's let's. Soak in the fact that Chris Enns just said Adam and Larry at a Whataburger. <laughs> exactly. <Right? laughs> Among the things that you would think you would never say on a at YouTube podcast, that's pretty high on my list. Well, to be fair, Bono did go to In and Out, so it makes sense that they would go to Whataburger. Yeah, I guess they're spreading the love around amongst the burger joints, West Coast burger joints. Yeah. <laughs> I don't just I, I wish they had the 
maybe there's probably security cam footage of Adam walking into Whataburger with that thing on <laughs> the kimono on. I wish we just had a little a little bit of video of just how you do even just do that as a human walking in there with uh, looking like he does uh, with without giving any cares in the world. So, uh, well, it being Adam, we're all kind of wondering if there's anything under that kimono too. <laughs> to- <laughs> Because uh, you know, yeah, put that one in the, there for Sherry. Adam's the free spirit. We love you, Adam. You are yeah. the free spirit. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll leave it at that, anyways, and save the discussion of what's under Adam's kimono for a future. Future. Does it matter episode. that this is an all-male podcast right now? <laughs> Doesn't matter at all. We can have discussions about anything, including Adam's kimono. So what we're actually here for is uh, to, to do a bit of sort of review and preview and Q&A stuff in, in light of the tour that's uh, now six shows in. And so for the roundtable, we thought we'd just have, there's three of us who have been to a show. So Matt, Chris, that's me, and Tim have been to a show and Mason has not. And so uh, I'm just barely slipping in there with one show. Uh, Matt, you've been to how many? Three for me. And Tim? The first, the first, first three, three for me. Yeah, I got all three California shows. It's been quite a week. I'm just coming down from that. Yeah, the there is yeah. that. Uh, I know people on in our Slack and and just on Twitter too. There's kind of like a U two post U two depression that hits a little bit when you're. It hit me t- pretty hard when I got back home. It was just like, and especially seeing everybody, almost pretty much everybody else. I was just with then at the Seattle show together, <laughs> and I'm sitting at home discussing with my Mason about, you know, cleaning out the dishwasher while everybody else is lining up to <laughs> get in to see you too and stuff. Uh, nothing against Mason's, but, uh, so yeah, I guess in terms of the, these sort of overall impressions after seeing the, the concerts and how it lined up with your expectations and, and all that kind of stuff in, you know, two or three minutes <laughs> or less, uh, Tim, maybe we'll start with you. What's what, how, how did it, your first show that you saw, I guess, and, and how did it line up with your expectations for the, what, what you're hoping it to be? Oh, the expectations question. That's a good one. The, um, you know, I talk about innocence and experience. When I went to that show, my expectation was I was going to a concert and I kind of came out with a Broadway musical, it felt like. I mean, that's how, how different it was for my expect, from what I expected. And I think there's an equal level of uh, disparity in a good way on this one. I thought I was going to a good old-fashioned stadium rock and roll show and I walked out thinking I was just part of some kind of film festival or something like that. It was really spectacular. And I tweeted at that first concert at Santa Clara that I went to. This is like sitting in a movie theater with 60,000 of your best fans. And I, it, it was if I thought I was going to a rock concert, I was wrong. I was going to a media event. And that was it was just really fantastic. The three shows, I think they were all different. I got a really good sampling of shows because Santa Clara was still had kind of the feel of that Vancouver thing, the initial set. And then we got to Rose Bowl. It really felt like it loosened up there. And then we got to Rose Bowl too. And the set list changed pretty significantly towards the end of the concert. And so it was really fun to experience all three of those different venues. Yeah. And how about for you, Matt? Same same question, same idea. Yeah, um, I don't because I, I I wrote this the article on at YouTube the eleven things that I think, and that was right after the Vancouver show, and I kind of wish I had maybe held off and written it after seeing Seattle and or uh, and or Santa Clara because they they seemed you know they they have you know first night nerves or whatever it might be or just like sort of figuring things out still, but it was so different the second show in Seattle and it was so. So much looser and just such a better vibe and better show, um, whether or not that was because, you know, they were more confident or whether that's because that's where all the international press was in for the Seattle show to do their formal official reviews. I don't know what it was. It was just such a different experience and, and, and a, you know, a better show overall. And, and then, uh, you know, Santa Clara was sort of in the middle for me um, of, of the three, but, you know, overall, in terms of expectations, I, I like I didn't know what to expect because I've never seen a show where, you know, they're touring something that they released 30 years ago. So I really didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what it was going to feel like. And Tim, I don't know if it was if it was you had a great comment and I don't know if it was on your 
on one of your scopes or maybe it was in our Slack or somewhere, but you sort of made this comparison to how like on a normal show, they are taking an album and and correct. They're they're like taking an album and building, like picking the songs out to tell the story, something like that. Whereas with this, whereas with this, this tour, they've got the entire album and they kind of have to build the story around it. No, that's what I noticed right away. I think this is a really tough project. Like as I started thinking about it, how do you how do you create because this band loves narratives. They love storylines. Right. So how do you build a storyline out of a out of an album? I mean, there is it is there in the 80s, but normally I think you'd plan a tour. You'd say, what do we, you'd sit down at your creative table and you'd say, what do we want to convey with this tour? Right. And you'd build a storyline out of that. And then you pick your tunes to, to backfill it. But I think, yeah, that's right, Matt. I, I really agree with that. I think this time the album is telling them where to go rather than they get to sit down and say, where do they want the tour to go? So when Bono comes out with or without you and he says, the songs write us, it really, really is true in this case. The songs are telling them what to do, and they have to build a narrative around the album. That's a very, very tough project, I think. Tim, you kind of alluded to this. One, one, one of the questions from folks who sent in, so if you're listening, you can send in questions, not not literally right now for this episode, but for the next time, uh, using hashtag AskAtU2 on Twitter, and we'll grab those for a future episode. But at U2 Breathe said, does does the Joshua Tree feel, show feel like a spiritual U2 gig or like a night at the movies? And it's kind of, it sounds a bit like you're sort of in one foot in one camp, one foot in the other, Tim, maybe? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a spiritual movie. Yeah. <laughs> it really yeah. It's an embrace of inclusive. The other way I've compared it is if any of you have been to Disneyland or Disney World, you got uh, Soarin' Over California, that kind of immersive ride where you're sitting with your feet dangling off and you got the huge screen and you're flying all around. And uh, it's got that kind of immersive quality to it. But when you sing a song with 60, 70, 80,000 people, like I still haven't found what I'm looking for, it immediately takes on spiritual overtones, I think. No matter what your faith or background or tradition is, you know, you're just standing. Ne- I, I remember in the 1980s, I said so- something to a friend and he looked at me kind of odd. I said, these songs feel to me like they're going to be the activist songs of our generation. And wow, here we are 30 years later still singing you know, they're kind of the Simon and Garfunkel of the previous generation in some ways. Uh, We're still singing them, and they've become these very traditional, spiritual, activist kinds of pieces for us, I think. So it's pretty cool. doesn't matter if you know the person next to you or not, you're going to sing together with them. Yeah, unless they're elbowing you with a beer in hand over top of your head and about to dump it on you, which may or not have been happening to someone beside me, but um, that's just concerts in general. That's not U2's fault for selling beer at a, <laughs> at a concert. <laughs> uh, sort of related to that, a follow-up from that YouTube breathe was what's the difference between IE, the IE tour and the Joshua tree in terms of band audience and spirit. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know what you guys have. I actually didn't see the IE tour at all. So it does feel a little bit odd just having that as the big focus. And, uh, you know, they sold a concert video off of that, which I have watched that, but, and then to sort of drop this tour in the middle of that theoretically, and pr- presumably maybe going back to that in some form afterwards, they kind of alluded to it in a slightly different way. So, um, but for somebody who's been to the IE tour, I guess, and now comparing that show to this one, um, Matt, what do you, th- any sort of, thoughts yeah i mean i i I think i think i mean i think the obvious answer is nostalgia right i mean this this is a nostalgia tour there's no getting around that it's a tour for a 30 year old album that as tim said you know if you want to you know if you're willing to go along with it you can see yes it does have relevance now uh to the to the time we're in now um but I think that's you know that to me that's that's the big thing as I said earlier it's 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 a very different experience for me personally as a concert goer going to a show that is celebrating songs I've been listening to for 30 years, as opposed to going to a show that is geared around an album that I've never seen live or only been seeing live in the space of a current tour. I would say one of the other differences too is the audience. And I think this tour is because it is for the Joshua tree, which, you know, the whole world knows the Joshua tree. I think it's attracting, um, you know, a much more casual U2 fan audience, casual music Mm -hmm. fan audience, 
than you know if it would be if it were you know the next leg of the Innocence and Experience tour. Um, you know, one of my coworkers. Uh, was at the second Pasadena show, and this is a person who loved you two through the 80s, uh, jumped off the bandwagon with all the changes of Octung Baby and Zoo TV, hasn't listened or li- or hasn't liked much of what you two did you know, through the 90s and 2000s and since then, um, but went to the Pasadena 2 show because it's the Joshua Tree and loved it. And so... And there's nothing, you know, it's okay for fans to, you know, go in and out with a band. Um, you know, that person is still someone who loves this part of U2's story. And so they love the, that, you know, that show that they saw on Sunday night. So I think, I think it is quite different from, you know, the IE tour for those kind of reasons. It's, it's a different approach from the band side. And I think it's attracting a different sort of concert attendee as well. Yeah, you know, it's completely different. And and I think this is the only way they could have gone. And of course, they got such a great creative team. Uh, you know, again, U2 is far more than five, four guys on a stage, right? I mean, it's more than music. It's such a concept, a concept right? So yeah, when they sit down to think about how are we going to do this different? Here, here's the way I described it earlier. I think um, Innocence Experience is more like Zoo, zoo TV, I mean, it's just media overload, right? Just saturation, just hyper content kind of thing. I think um, the current tour, uh, Joshua Tree 2017, it's more like Elevation, except in a stadium. It's very minimalist. Um, it's very cinematic. Uh, it, it's really, really different. I, I just can't even put words to it yet how different the concept is than innocence and experience, even though they both have a lot of media in them, but you get these, you know, Anton Corbin, just slow pans, you know, there's nothing hyper about this until you get to maybe exit. That'd be the only one when you get to exit, then you just have these kind of raging razor like images, you know, searing into your soul. But until then it's just slow pans, slow motion, and movement, uh, which which I think is stunning. It's just stunning. Yeah, it's hard to explain to folks who like I, just coming back home and people asking me about the tour and, or the concert, and just folks who aren't even U two fans, but just you know obviously appreciate a good concert. And it's hard to explain sort of the the impact of seeing this thing live when it looks from photos. It looks pretty impressive, but it still looks like it's just a concert with guys on the stage and a screen behind them and mm-hmm. whatever, right? And so it's hard to sort of get that across that it actually is a a, a real experience that is hard to hard to replicate. Um, YouTube fan Chatman just said, I'm enjoying this Joshua Tree tour better than IE. I like the songs better, which I think is fair. And that's where um, if, you, if you're a fan of U2's hits and deeper cuts, I guess this definitely is the tour for you because they're certainly bringing all those out. Um, so, um, and, uh, one of the questions at Tim Jahar asked is Bono playing guitar at all in this tour? If not, will he ever again? <laughs> and how does that change the songs compared to back then? Um, I wasn't at any of the Joshua tree tour stops either. Mason and I are alike in that way. Uh, but I guess the sonically musically from the, what you're hearing when you're in the concert venues, you're not, I'm certainly not missing Bono playing. I'm sure he misses having the ability to play guitar occasionally just as a thing to do on stage. Um, but I can't speak for Bono obviously, but <laughs> just a place to put his hands and stuff. But, uh, yeah, sonically and musically and stuff, there's enough going on above the stage, below the stage, et cetera, that is filling in a space. And I was, I just was amazed once again, that, four guys plus some sequencers and stuff are filling this huge venue with enough sound to make it feel full. And even in, in moments where it's just a piano and stuff like that, um, it's yeah, still d- they're doing a great job, I guess. I don't know if Bono's going to play guitar again, but um, at least on stage anyways, we'll see, I guess. But any comments on musically how it's affecting the tour or the, the songs, I guess, as, as, as you would have hoped to hear them? No, I don't. I agree with you, Chris. I don't think it's affecting. I mean, I don't. You, I mean, you could wonder if how loudly his guitar was ever t- turned up anyway when he played. So there's that one moment um, no. in Zoo TV where he strums up. Yeah, you get to hear that. I think in one. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and so definitely they turned it yeah, up for no, that I, when he was in the room, probably during the editing. They like oh, quickly turn it up. Okay, now he's gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't think it has. A, I don't think it has a great impact at this point. They can, that you know, they find ways around, you know, whatever sort of change or challenge that, uh, you know, ha- has come to them. So yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I agree with what you said. It's a great prop for him on stage. It's a great photo when he's got the guitar uh, around his shoulders. But I don't think musically it has a huge impact. 
he's definitely not wearing those black sweatpants or whatever he was wearing in Rattle and Hum. So that much, uh, I was somebody at Charoff mentioned, I like the band's show attire on this tour. Bono's long tousled hair, edge and jeans and sneakers. Do we agree? <laughs> you don't like the, the shirtless suspender look? I mean, <laughs> it works. It works for the right the fireman's trousers. Yeah. Yeah. My wife loved that look. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Matt, Matt just threw on a shirt for the podcast. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. I usually sit here in my office shirtless, <laughs> writing, <laughs> editing suspenders. stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You got the old man suspenders now because your belt won't work anymore, probably <laughs> like me. <laughs> Hey, now. <laughs> uh, all right. Final question. Poor Mason's like, why did I come on this show with these old <laughs> let's, geezers? <laughs> let's let Mason in here. <laughs> no, no, I actually, I, I'd asked, um, I'd asked this very question about, uh, about the wardrobe coming into the show, because that's one of the things I think is most underrated about a tour that I think we should write up one of these days. It's I, so cool. Maybe I'll oh. do it. Is the, the band's outfit. And like Adam, yep. you've seen like these, beaded yep. like navajo looking like yep. shirts and larry's you know doing his thing and then and bono's and uh like it looks like he's in denim some of the time and edge you know it 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 does look it looks relaxed it looks like they're paying tribute to the original jt tour but they're kind of updating it to be like urban outfitter chic as i like to call it and i, I don't know i really like it i it's it's a good look for them and i'll miss i mean hopefully one day we'll get the adams punk band t-shirts again but for right now i you know, I like the the sequins and the the rugged looking uh, wardrobe that they've chosen. So I'm glad somebody yeah. brought up the the clothes because I'm a geek out over <laughs> I, the clothes. I normally don't get into the clothes, but I got to say, he's got you know these long jacket with a tail hanging. Oh, I just yeah, Adam's outfits are just. I'm like, yeah. who is dressing Adam because he looks fantastic. And it's it's a good point, Mason, because they there's very little, if anything at all, that on a U2 concert stage isn't there on purpose and isn't there intentionally. Whether you think it's they sweat over every single detail or not, but as a you know individual, as Bono, Bono's not worrying about every single dust on the stage per se, but they don't do uh, very much without some thought or intention when they're putting a show together like this. And uh, and yeah, wardrobe down to the socks, even probably. I I don't think we've had any socks sightings yet, but I'm sure. Uh, the Larry T-shirt Twitter handle is loving it, and all the other parody or whatever <laughs> accounts that are following the tour. I, I mean, after yeah. after yeah after Underwear Gate on the IE tour, I'm just glad that we're looking at external clothes rather than underneath. But whatever. <laughs> uh, I just I have a question for Mason. It, Mason, can can you go like yeah. shopping with me? I really need some fashion advice. <laughs> I think you could help me out here. That'll be a new Periscope. You're new, coming to the wrong person. I the think. crystal change room instead of my, oh, my shirt on. matches my couch right now. I'm not Do sure. a guy a favor. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm the best. You got you did some good shopping for your kids there, Tim. The the two shirts I saw you you had ordered. Made. Did you have to pay them to wear the shirt, or they were willing to be YouTube? They were willing the to. So what I did on that is I I did the back, and then I let them choose a phrase for the front. Yeah, let them choose a lyric they wanted to put on the front, and then yeah. that worked out. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. That's actually another whole podcast is actually, and maybe Mason could be a part of that is, is how you get your kids into U2. Cause right now my kids are kind of like, uh, whenever dad puts on the U2 stuff, it'll be a very short one by force. That's it. Don't give them any choice. Clockwork orange it, you know, with the, with the eyeballs. And <laughs> movie stuff. Yeah. All right. I'll try that. I'll let you know how that works out when I, when I lose my kids. All right. I- I don't know what child services is like in Canada, but I can imagine you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> They're, just... <laughs> They're very polite. It's for a higher purpose. Yeah. Um, uh, at, at YouTube runner had asked, did the crowd know all of the justry songs or did it feel like people only knew the hits? And I know uh, I'll speak for the concert in Vancouver. Anyways, it was kind of Peter's out as the album gets longer or into the second side of the album for sure. In terms of what people know, but I was, sh- I was shocked. There was, I, I would guess they'd be late twenties, early thirties, a group of, four guys beside me that were, uh, they were smoking something, but also they were also really, really into a lot of the later cuts, uh, on Josh tree and, and certainly exit just lots of, uh, lots of in shouts of enjoyment about how effing amazing the song was. And so who knows whether that was the, the smoke or the actual song that they knew, but, uh, there were lots of things about comments about how the on fire the edge was and stuff like that so i would say it really depends where you stand too 
Well, it depends where you stand because I was in a group of kind of frat boys drinking beer who thought, yeah, this was a great rock and roll concert and they were doing all the F and this and that, whatever. And boy, you know, look at Larry, he looks great and all this. And then I, I went back about 20 feet and found a group of fans who really knew the material and some of them were young and we were singing every lyric from the entire album together. And I didn't know these people. And so there, there are these pockets that you get into, especially if you walk around on the floor where people really do know every word and every lyric. And it's not just bound to the 50 year old crowd either. <laughs> yeah. I'll agree with, with what Tim said. It really is. Cause at the Santa Clara show, I was with Scott Peretta and uh, Michael Cummins answer guy. And we sort of had to move around because you get near somebody and they start talking too much during a song, but you know, so you got to find wh- where you're, you know, where you're comfortable and in the right area. But I'll say just generally speaking, there was nobody leaving the floor for the bathroom or food or drinks during the first four or five songs. But when it got to side B, that's when people started, you know, occasionally going out. And I was listening to one of the Periscopes uh, last night. So that would have been the Houston show. And right at the end, uh, I, this, this just cracked me up right at the end of exit, you know, just another amazing performance of this great song. And, you know, everybody's ah, just cheering, you know, going nuts. And then you can hear in, kind of faintly on the Periscope, this male voice leans into uh, close enough to be heard. And he says, hey, what's the name of that song? And then this female voice answers back, I don't remember. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, how many people in the stadium don't remember? Like, there's probably a lot. And so yeah. I just I wish I remember thinking, you know, that it would be cool if if Bono would spend a little time maybe giving the names of the songs out and maybe doing a little short introduction to explain, you know, one tree Hill as a, as you know, here's who, who Greg Carroll was and here's why this song is important to us. And here's what he sort of does that now for in God's country. He does a little spiel right before in God's country, but I think like nobody knows. No, I shouldn't say nobody. A lot of people don't know why the mothers are on the screen for mothers of the disappear. Mm -hmm. Like what's the story behind those candles going out. And I just, I think that I think it, you know, again, I don't, pretend to tell the band what to do. I just think that it, it would benefit the audience if there was a little bit more information for side B. Do you think they're sort of the band as a band They're they're assuming a higher uh, degree of fan is there than actually showing up? Like you alluded to earlier of just people showing up because they remember listening to Joshua tree, but they're not like haven't been hardcore YouTube fans. That could be, yeah. I mean, that could be, or it, I just, I don't know. I thought maybe when they weren't doing any of that, when they just played, you know, Vancouver and Seattle, I think they just played straight through with like very little talk. And I think it was, I, my thought was they just, they must just want the songs and the album to stand on its own. Yeah. Right. With no, with no explanation, no story, you know, here's, here's the album. But you know, like I just, I think the audience would benefit from knowing, you know, these songs that maybe they, you know, aren't as familiar as the big hits on side A. Well, they're always walking a fine line, especially Bono is, right? Between saying too much and too little, I really think, because he gets critiqued all the time for oh, yapping totally, yeah. too much, right? And in yep. fact, boy, really, I mean, that was really seen last night on Trip Through Your Wires when he just went on and on in the introduction and I think missed most of the video of what he was talking about. And that's Mrs. The Edge on the screen, right? Because the last few nights he's been trying to say, and here's Mrs. The Edge. Well, she's already gone because, you know, yeah. he's talked so much through the song. So, so there's that side yeah. of it too, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and no, on the right. previous tour... You know, S. Devlin would just hammer Bono for these rants and distracting from the beauty of the screen that was going on. So yeah. I wonder how much that plays into it, too. Yeah. But you're right. It's a fine, fine line. It's hard to know how, how much context to give it, right? Yeah, well, and then there's always the artistic kind of notion of wanting to leave it open to interpretation for 30 years later as well. Like you, you do want to give some of that context, but you want to leave it open to be reinterpreted today in however the next generation wants to interpret this song. So it may mothers that disappeared may not be about the original mothers in Central America, which, you know, very few people remember anymore the scandals that were going on and the, you know, arms to Iran and all that kind of thing. But they can easily equate that to Manchester you know, where mothers have lost their children in an Ariana Grande concert. So I think that's part of the power of not giving it a whole lot of context as well, because those women could be standing up there with their candles being blown out 
for what just happened this week. Too. Mm-hmm. And that's powerful because, because if you locate it 30 years ago, it, you might lose a little bit of meaning for today. And I don't think they want to jeopardize that either. So it's a, it's a balance. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was hoping that even there's without going into a long discussion of it, but just that sort of, uh, what would it be geolocation, I guess, almost of the song where Mm -hmm. when they're in Canada, there's a whole, uh, thing here with the first nations folks who, whose kids Mm -hmm. were taken away out of and taken out into schools and residential schools and stuff and all that kind of stuff. You can Google it and, and find out more information. But, um, and I kind of, I was hoping in, 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 in Vancouver that they would sort of use some of that emotion to get a political message across that, you know, this is a thing that we should be all looking at or whatever, and, and taking that on the road with them, wherever they happen to be. And it, it may be that they'll just use topical stuff that's current rather than, um, trying to get, get too involved with any sort of local political stuff, um, as it's but but I love what you just I love what you just did there and I think they'd be very proud that just in one song we just talked about three issues we talked about Central America Manchester and Native Americans in Canada and and I think that's the scope that they want to have with their music is that it can be interpreted in all these ways and in some sense isn't that our job isn't that what we do at at you too we start breaking it down and making the interpretations and Chris you should do an article on you know, uh, the situation in Canada with Native uh, peoples there. I mean, I'd love to see how you interpret that and apply that right there. Right. If, if I ever get around to finishing That's anything I've written, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> how many half excuse. articles do we all have laying yeah, exactly. <laughs> in our virtual desk? Mason's already committed yeah. to writing an article in the episode, so we're, we're good. Uh, okay, some, some more just sort of practical stuff in terms of questions uh, that came in. Uh, at Tim Jahar also asked, if I bring something to sit in on while we wait outside, what happens to it when we go in? Can I move it around within the GA during the show? And uh, I can attest, at least from Vancouver, that uh, when we were walking in, which is after the whole big debacle of, you know, just getting in the, the, the venue, um, where we nearly, you know, all that stuff that happened there. But um, the there was just stuff, sort of stuff left behind. Like, I think there's a lot of those portable pile. chairs and the pile. Yeah. Little tents and stuff and tarps and all sorts of things that if you wanted to just come afterwards, after the show has started, you could probably collect enough to go camping for a few days anyways. Yep. Um, <laughs> Cause they, they don't, and obviously security with what happened in Manchester has been even more heightened. Um, and so they're not letting people bring big collections of stuff inside the venues anymore. So plan to leave it behind as it were. Um, but what uh, I was what I was bemoaning at Rose Bowl two is there was a big pile at Rose Bowl one, and I thought, why don't they just let us use that pile from Rose Bowl one at Rose Bowl two? And no, they can't do any of that ever. I hope they do something good with that. Like it doesn't just get thrown in a dump somewhere or something. You know, like yeah. you'd you'd hope that people would see the charity, right? Yeah. Salvation Army, Goodwill, whatever. There's a lot of ice chests and blankets and chairs and umbrellas in there that could re- be reused. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and also the other, so the other question sort of part B of that was moving around within GA. And I think that's, what I was going to say earlier to what Tim was saying and did obviously is definitely feel free to move around in there. It's not a locked, well, I know that people were <laughs> pushing past me front, like yeah. coming in, going out. I, we kind of locked in at Vancouver with a group of us at you tours anyways, that were sort of in the same location, but it's a long show, move around, see it from different perspectives. And, uh, if you're obviously, if you're right up on the rail or something like that, you're probably going to be reluctant to leave because you, it'll be very difficult to get back there. Um, and it depends on your personality, how pushy and persistent you want to be in some of those situations. But, um, yeah, any comments on GA and, and another question was just kind of related to, I know we often get is where would you recommend people trying to, if they're the sort of per, one, if you're getting to one show, what would you, would you want it to be in the seat? Would you want to be in GA and, um, and then, yeah, any recommendations? So, I don't know, Matt, if you want to start us off with, I've um, the three show. I ended up in the same place for all three shows, which was on GA and back near the the front of the mixing desk where all the video and audio is done. And so, I've only seen it from that one position, other than photos and videos that others have posted. I mean, I'm kind of I'd I'd love to get up close, you know, first five ten rows, but I'm not willing to sit in the GA line for three days to do it. Sorry, I'm too old for that. So I've only seen it from the one spot. I've seen it three different spots. So we were in the stand about 20 or 30 rows up at Santa Clara, kind of just past 50 yard line. So it felt really good to see the screen from there. We were looking over the tops of people's heads. That was fantastic. That wasn't the most expensive. It was the medium price seats. 
Um, but that was fun. We went down uh, for Rose Bowl one. We went down into GA. We got there about two o'clock in the afternoon and it was hot. It was it was brutal, but so I'm glad we didn't go any earlier. But we we had a nice spot on the floor, right in the right dead center screen, about 20 feet off of the uh, tree stage. So my son, who's a drummer, could watch Larry really see him well. Uh, but it is, I mean, you're, you're locked in there. You don't move when you go that close. Like people are coming in and out with their beers, but it's really. It's it's a hard thing to do. So we just stay there. You know, we hunker down for a few hours on the floor there. And then the last show, Rose Bowl 2, I just stayed towards the back of GA. All of them were wonderful. But Matt, I you know, you can walk in at 4 or 5 o'clock and get a decent spot on the floor in the back of GA, right? Yes. I think uh, Santa Clara, in fact, I didn't walk in until the last couple songs of Mumford and Sunset. And I could have pushed up i think well in fact scott and michael and i did we pushed up we were probably i don't know for the first few songs we were maybe 10 or 15 people back from the b stage so you know we had a good view of the the first part of the show yeah yeah so you don't have to rush the only reason to spend all day there is if you really want one of those coveted rail positions there's not as much rail on this tour uh, I would guess there's not as many linear feet of rail. And the the real gem is to be kind of on the inside of that tree stage, I think, right on the rail, if you really want to spend all that time. And I have friends that did it. You know, they had to go the night before, get their hand numbered, be there at 6 a.m. And, you know, depending on the weather, that's a that can be a real ordeal, too. Yeah, for folks who aren't aware, I guess, and um, Mason, feel free to jump in with any questions you might have, too, as far as the the just getting in and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there is a bit of a unofficial GA kind of organization that goes on amongst fans, right? If I'm not mistaken, I wasn't I, like Matt, I, we showed up late and, and just kind of hoped to saunter in and ended up in the Vancouver lineup issues. But um, there is a sort of fan organization. I've seen other folks who are there with their kids and stuff and they get stamped and then they, and if you do want to, you can wait in line long enough to get on a rail. It doesn't seem to be that impossible if you're willing to do the time, I guess. Right. And so, um, anybody have any more specific details as far as how that all works and what folks can expect to see, I guess, when they show up trying to get in. That's a little, it's a little different in every venue, but, uh, you know, the general procedure is, is that they don't want you to stay in there overnight usually. And so you go, somebody's monitoring line numbers and you go get something the night before and then, they say you got to be back at 6 a.m. to check in or you lose your spot in the numbering. But but that really can change from venue to venue, too. Right. So you're kind of like unofficially, again, this is not like yeah. venue security. This is just you two fans, no. whatever, sort of organizing, self-organizing. And so you're at the mercy of whoever. Can, and so someone could make a stink about it and just get there at 5.30 or something and <laughs> get ahead of whatever. And so... Um, yeah, that's just the nature of the beast, I guess. But um, I know I've seen yeah lots of folks who I sort of followed on Twitter or various places, sort of through the line and stuff, and ending up with really good spots if they're hoping to get you know catch a bit of Larry's sweat or whatever, and um, able to do that. <laughs> and like Sherry had said on our Periscope episode last episode, she stood way at the back of GA and just took in the show, just being a bit on the less tall side of things. Um, and so, and able to sort of take it all in from back there and not have to worry about some seven foot monster in front of her or whatever that's blocking her view of everything. Because like we said, the the first, depending on how many songs they do, the first three to five songs are, there's no screen. Basically there's, there's stuff on the screen sometimes, but not really any of the band. And so you're not seeing the band unless you can have a sight line to the B stage or the Joshua Tree stage. So um, how about you, Mason? What's your hoped, you're going to which concerts or concerts? Uh, I'm going to be going to Pittsburgh coming up soon, and then uh, the first uh, MetLife show. And with Pittsburgh, I'm taking my parents to their first show. Oh, nice, and nice. Uh, my dad's Fun. my dad's six foot. Yeah, yeah, it should be awesome. Uh, my dad's six foot two, and my mom's not, so uh, she's very <laughs> short. So I'm going to do. We're going to go a couple days early, and I'll be one of those dopes getting up at five a.m. And thankfully, I'm about a half mile from not even that from the stadium, our hotel. So I'll go and get as close to the rail as I can. So, uh, just so she'll be able to see. So I'm, but, uh, I, I, I'm still in that stage in my fanhood where just being close to the band is a thrill, uh, of itself. So I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to try the GA rail route. So 
Nice. You know, that's an interesting comment, Mason, because yeah, I've taken the time to be on the rail up front, like for Dreamfest we were, and we were staring up at that mm-hmm. huge stage. So that's another thing to consider on this tour is that stage is way, way up there. It's like four feet, five feet above your head. And when you're in the front rail, you can barely see Larry at the back of the stage. Um, so okay, yeah, you get, I want to, I want to warn people about that too. Don't just think that rushing to the front of the stage is going to be the way to go on this one. Cause you may miss uh, some of the action that's actually happening in the band. We did, we did that. We had that opportunity at Dreamfest to be on the rail. And we said, you know what, we've, we've done that. We've been there. So we have no need to do that on this tour. And we just camped out in the middle, which was easy to get to. And we didn't have to spend a lot of time. So yeah, that's a, that's a great comment, Mason. About yeah, you kind of want to try it once or twice, and some people that's where they want to go all the time. But yeah, yeah absolutely. I'd rail both nights for uh, their Madison Square Garden shows, and it was just it was nice. the best. So by comparison, I'm not sure how much higher up the stage is, but the way I see it, if I'm going to be among the first couple hundred in there, if I'll get to the rail, if I yeah. like it, I like it, and if not, then yeah. we'll you know scooch back 15 feet or so. So oh yeah. So your parents are going to try and join, they're going to join you at the rail at some point or whatever, right? Is the idea, the plan? Yeah. Yeah. I'll wait in line all day and they'll go have fun and then they'll, we'll reconnect when it gets close to the show and we'll go in together and get some, get a good seat, hopefully. get a good spot at least. So they can deliver you Starbucks and whatever throughout the day and then just keep you. <laughs> not a, I'm not a coffee guy. I, I have a natural, uh, reservoir of energy so i think i'll be okay <laughs> that's called being young i think that's uh, oh to be young again <laughs> yeah one of the best one of the best stories i have related to that is just met a person who took their 70 year old mother to be on the rail with them oh, at wow. this tour and oh, uh, wow. that's that's and she loved it 70 year old mother one of the things that i love most about any tour going to anything really is the technical aspect of it and um, the last few tours we've had have all been, you know, groundbreaking in their own way. I mean, 360, it's the highest grossing concert tour ever, and it has the claw, which is this behemoth of a of a stage. And then IE, of course, is the cage and the runway and the B stage. And I feel like those two complemented the show really well, where the band was still the focus. But from what I'm seeing in Periscopes and YouTube videos, and I, I again, I have to experience this myself, so I can't, you know, I don't want to cement my beliefs too much but it seems like the screen is overtaking the show if that makes any sense like the because we don't really see the band on the screen much except for i mean correct me from like exit i think exit's the only time we really see the band and maybe one or something in the encore but the rest of it's just pre-recorded visuals and i feel like that might take me out of it so i just want to get your guys thoughts on how you think the marriage between the instruments and the um images is I'll speak first just from the one show and uh, the one position, like I was like Matt, I was near the soundboard area and I definitely felt like similar feelings of where's the band and all this. And while being really impressed and blown away by the visuals, um, it did feel like a lot of, it was harder and I'm six foot and change. And so I was able to see them do stuff or if they're on the B stage, if it wasn't on the screen. Um, but it definitely, it can kind of take away from you're kind of just watching this, like Tim said, watching this movie with your friends almost and not really participate or seeing it that the band is it. Cause they kind of are locked. They don't wander as much uh, as they have even on, on within that stage. Like Adam has his moment where he goes off to one side and edge kind of goes off to one side, but they're pretty sort of, uh, I don't know if rigid is the right word, but they kind of have their marks that they want to hit all the time, I guess, as far as where they're going to be. And, uh, and so you kind of, and they do look really small compared to that screen. And so um, when they're not actually on the screen, it is tough to like sort of see, feel like the band is actually there and you're not just listening to a soundtrack almost for the movie that you're watching. And I don't know, I think, I mean, I'm jealous of the folks who get to see it multiple times and, and then can also get into the multiple positions to sort of experience it up close or far back and all that kind of stuff. Um, Cause obviously I would assume if you're on the rail, you're very much aware that the band is there and you're there playing as you're watching all this stuff if you're able to even sort of take in the screen at that close range but um yeah i don't know what what did you think tim in response to the sort of production overtaking the band i think you nailed it uh that can be seen as a negative to some people or it can be seen as a positive uh mason so 
the way I interpret it uh, is very positively. I, you're absolutely right. The band is dwarfed by this screen. They are just infinitesimally small. When they walk off their island and up the ramp to stand under the Joshua tree, there's just tiny little silhouettes against that massive screen. And I think that really sets the tone for the rest of the concert in in some ways. Um, yeah, the only other song I can think of where they have live action they do some in running to stand still, I think, uh, where they have some live action camera shots as well. But that's the whole minimalist kind of nature of this tour. It's not Innocence Experience. It's not Zoo TV. It is something cinematic. And the real appeal of this to me is standing with the other people on the floor experiencing uh, this together. You know, uh, Chris, you've got, can the people, who are watching this video, can they see the picture that you have as a background yeah, for yeah, uh, this? So, yeah. So what that's my picture from uh, during Miss Sarajevo when, uh, uh, when the band turns and looks at the screen of uh, uh, what I just blanked on her name. Mo, 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 Ma, Ma, Ma. Um, So what, um, what you have Ma, Ma? Is, yeah, and they have so the band gets silhouetted against the screen, actually looking up at the screen because they're looking at an image of her. And that's another really telling moment in the concert for me. This band is trying to actually, they're so secure in themselves later in life that they just don't need the spotlights on themselves anymore. They're turning it on the audience constantly, they're turning it on the image. Uh, on the screen, whether it's Native American Indians or it's Mamaima, uh, you know, Sarajevo, uh, the new Sarajevo of Syria. Um, I think it's brilliant. I really like it. Uh, I just like it for the experience of being there. And no, you're, you're right. The downside is you don't get kind of that up close and personal kind of connection with the band. Um, but I think that's pretty intentional on this tour, too. Maybe that's not maybe it's not going to work for a lot of fans. I don't know. Yeah, I've seen. I, I mean, I've, uh, some of our crew, and I've seen a lot of you know people saying on Twitter that they don't like not being able. And uh, I think uh, you two fan says in the chat there that uh, I want to see yeah. them on on the screen. Um, uh, uh, but I no, I agree with what you guys. Saw. I I do think it's wholly intentional. Um, I, I don't mind. So you guys know this because of our Slack, but we just Willie Williams just agreed to do a little Q and A with us, and that's one of the first things I want to ask him is we don't mm-hmm. see the band at all for the very first three songs of the Joshua Tree. It's all the films, and you know I would like him to talk about that. Uh, so that's going to be one of the one of the questions we ask. I do think, and I think my impression, and I'd have to compare some of the YouTube videos, but I think they are now showing the band on screen more than they did in Vancouver and Seattle. Not positive. I know that they don't show them for the first three. They do show the band during Bullet the Blue Sky because that's when Bono holds up the, the, does the rattle and hum thing where he's holding up the spotlight and it's got a camera on edge. Uh, running to stand still. You don't see them in Red Hill. I don't think you see them during In God's Country because it's just that that multicolored tree. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I agree with what you guys said. I, I, I think it's intentional. I think it's designed to say it's not about us. It's about the album and, you know, we're here to serve the album. So I think you're right about that, Matt. I think they actually are showing more images of the band on the screen. And I'm just trying to look through my pictures here real quick, but I almost think I remember seeing in the first, I'm going to, I'm going to check that out. I, I think you're right about the first couple of shows, not having them on the screen at all in the first few images I wonder if they're doing some of that now. I need to I need to look back at my pictures from Rose. <laughs> Tim, I did not. I, I did right. not intend. Right. I did not intend to give you homework. So, <laughs> no, no. Now, I'm, oh, you know me. I'm going. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, dang! It's like number twenty three on the things I want to, you know, <laughs> look up on this tour and try to investigate them. Which, by the way, just a little plug for tours.atu2.com is time to if you haven't already go update which shows you've been to. Uh, set up an account if you haven't already, and uh, you can sort of track and, and compare how many shows you've been to, all that kind of stuff, at uh, tours.atu2.com. Um, and can I and can I give props to the tours team real quick? Because there's been some discussion on Twitter, like 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 new. Yes, they are amazing. Um, 
there's been discussion on Twitter about New Year's Day, and because Bono is now singing the very last stanza, you know, so we are told this is the golden age. Gold is the reason for the wars. Ways he changes it to oil in the concerts now. But our tours crew went back and re-listened mm-hmm. to all of those early. Just just within the last few weeks, re-listened to all those early uh, war era shows and hmm. confirmed that it, that line has never been sung before in concert. So that's the wow. kind of thing that those guys Whoa. do. They're, they're Ross and Brian and and everybody. They're just amazing. So anyway, end of commercial. <laughs> <laughs> they truly are. Um, at P Bear 1979, it was uh, for fans of the pre Vancouver rehearsals. Is Bjorn who is live streaming or periscoping, I guess, uh, some of the rehearsals for everybody around the world. And he just had asked, uh, what changes do you predict as the tour progresses and what's your wish list? So we're sort of partway through, I guess, third maybe of the way through. I don't know if that's a accurate number, but uh, somewhere in there uh, through the tour. And uh, what's uh, anything we sort of alluded to, maybe some of the visuals changing slightly as they sort of refine them. They've dropped uh, songs somewhat or whatever. We'll see if that's permanent or not. Um, any uh, any wish list items that you're still hoping to see now that the the show has come out? I guess uh, Mason, maybe anything that just as somebody who hasn't been to the show yet, but you know you're kind of hoping for a song or something from when you get to go. Uh, let's see. They haven't played Acrobat yet, have they? No. <laughs> oh, okay. um, no. Uh, I'm I'm hap- I'm somewhat happy. Like I think Ooh, I know man. what I'm what what I'm getting into, and I know yeah. Uh, like like we've talked about and we've kind of complained a little bit about is that they sort of taken a hatchet to the set list with the cuts of homecoming and moving things to the back of the show. And I agree with what Matt had said that I do think they need to beef out the beginning of the show because I don't think I don't like Sunday Bloody Sunday as an opener. I think that would be better served, maybe move to the encore like that. So um but as for songs I'd like to hear, I mean they talked a lot about how they wish they could have included on Joshua Tree, but I'll sing this. I'll sing the praises of Heartland again because it is such a. That's maybe the most America, other than Streets, maybe, but the most American song, like love letter to America, that I think they've ever written. So I think that w- I would love to get that to get its due, and um, and again, I do think they need a better, a more up tempo closer than uh, little things like so. Maybe bringing out Desire or something up tempo because i like ending on the, i will follow after little things so you do get the symmetry of the future and the past but um i just overall i do think the set list does need some work and uh so those songs i guess i think could be good yeah i was hoping they'd do and they still could sneak in some of the b-sides or something you know just like little playful moments but it does feel like it's fairly heavily produced show like we've alluded to tim you know saying like so which either is really awesome or just slightly inflexible i guess and and even with bono you know talking too much and screwing up a bit of the video timing or whatever those things kind of show a bit of the cracks in that sort of heavily produced uh range kind of show so um but yeah matt how about you any sort of wish list items that you hope is going to be revealed yet no i just i i again i you know this is to echo sort of what mason just said and, and i wrote this in the 11 things article i i do feel that they're like the first, there were originally there were five songs before they started the Joshua Tree, and that itself felt too short. It felt like I, I wanted a little more, um, you know, lead in, a little more build up to streets. Four plays, and so I I wrote, yeah, four play was the term <laughs> I used in the article. You're right, <laughs> um, and Mark, so I thought explicit. I was. Oh, <laughs> now we're PG thirteen all of a sudden. Um, and so I wrote, you know, just like I, it seems like seven or eight would be better. Like, 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 let's build up to streets, but they've gone in the opposite direction. So, you know, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. Clearly, they don't listen to you. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, nothing. Um, I'm not scheduled to see any more shows, so I, there's no point in me having a wish list. I just, I just, I'm curious about why they have shortened that lead time into into streets. I would think that more build up and more anticipation would be the thing, but apparently not. What do I know? I will say, Mason, that. Uh, I was really skeptical about skeptical about the idea of Sunday Blaze Sunday's opener, but it is kind of it's really powerful in the arena that that moment, and and you can sort of get that obviously when you're watching a scope or listening to Mixler or whatever, but just that moment of Larry walking out and kind of the the minimalist a- aspect of that of just we're in this 
air quotes club watching this band take the stage but i I think my problem with that is more of the lead-in because like i i i just discovered a rainy night in soho and i've fallen i've fallen so deeply in love with that song but it is a very strange juxtaposition to sunday bloody sunday like i think a sort of homecoming would be a much better opener from rain into get the they get the synth going and they start off with that and then maybe sunday bloody sunday is their last song transitioning into the joshua tree so like start off a little bit lower a little bit easier with a kind of a smaller beautiful but a, a much less aggressive song and then you kind of ramp it up as every song like with every song to lead into like this emotional release with streets so um yeah yeah how about you, Tim? Anything you know, else? from a well, yeah, from a thematic perspective, if just purely thematic, I think Sunday Bloody Sunday's brilliant choice to open with because if you're reading the poems beforehand, they're all dealing with immigration and injustice, and I mean, it's got a list. They're heavy. Like, there's got to be one percent of the stadium reading those poems, and they are like, I I tweeted if if we were really reading all those poems, like the concert starts with those poems, like for me. And so when we get to Sunday, bloody Sunday, I'm already, I'm already kicked in the gut. And like when, when Larry comes on with, you know, the March, I'm ready for action. Like it just hits the ground running for me. So I love it. That's, that's fine with me, but I, it it works on a popular level in that it is, it's, it's just a fun piece to see Larry sit down and play the drums on, but yeah, I get that too, Mason, that, yeah, that's typically like, you know, their encore. So that's one of the ways they're mixing things up here. I think if I were going to ask for anything, which I don't, I don't mess with set lists too much. Like, I don't really care. Like, I everything is so well intended on their end. I figure there's some kind of meaning they want us to get, whether we get it or not, you know, whatever. But I read too much into it anyway. Matt knows that. <laughs> so, um, but here's a fun one that I would love to see done. And this totally wouldn't work. I get it that it wouldn't work, but I would just love to see them do MLK right into streets because that gap between those three years and those two tunes together wow. just works seamlessly. They are flawless. They're in the same key. Actually, they're not in the same key, but they purposely, I think they purposely start streets on the album in the same key as MLK and then make the transition uh, into streets later with edge, with the organ part playing in the background. So it would be really fun. I would love to see them with all that reverence, walk up that ramp to MLK. And then the organ just doesn't stop. It just goes straight, you know, into streets. That would be fun for me. I realize that MLK is a real yawner for a lot of people and probably didn't work, but uh, that would be, I, w- I would love that. That's wish list. That's, that's what it is. So that's the wish list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. I think we, uh, we probably should ra- start wrapping up the, the episode anyways. And if, before the uh, folks start lining up for the next GA line, if they're not already <laughs> in, uh, is it Arlington? I think this is the next episode, next episode, next yes. show. Alan <laughs> yes. uh, so we'll see if uh, what burger joints they hit before the show or after the show. <laughs> and if Adam's wearing a kimono or not, well, you'll be wearing something. Settle down. <laughs> but, and, uh, we don't so know that for sure. That's true, actually. I, <laughs> maybe they'll start. They've started photo shoots for the Actung Baby 30th anniversary reissue right now. Well, things we, are going used to well. have, uh, we used to have Adam's time to bathrobe. Now we yeah. need Adam's time to kimono or something, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for folks who are following along and listening, where can they find you guys on, on Twitter or whatever social network you'd like to give out? Uh, go with, uh, where are we here? Matt, I'll start with you. Oh, Twitter's the best place for me at Matt McGee on Twitter. And Mason, how are you? Uh, if you have a, a pigeon or a dove or something like that, uh, that'd probably be the best way. But, uh, email, we gotta, email, we gotta show, get Mason more active on Twitter. We gotta get him more active on Twitter. Uh, is, is Twitter where all the old people hang out, Mason? Is that what it is? Yeah, uh, smokestacks are back. Like fires are, they're, they're coming right. back. So I didn't okay. send Mason a smoke signal. Tim, how about you? Yeah, exactly. At Thank Tim you. Newfeld. And uh, any uh, periscopes coming up? Oh, always. I never know. <laughs> the, the, the periscopes write me. They sing. <laughs> me. So. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'll have to have uh, some interviews with some Periscope fans who are like, here's my wish list for Tim's 
future periscope. We'll have a meta discussion about what what did Tim mean when he wore that shirt? To, you know, with, without buttoning it up. And, there you go. Yeah. So you know, the band always says live is where we live, right? Well, meta is where I live. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Oh my gosh. You didn't, I, I don't, I shouldn't uh, confess this, but I don't know if you listened to the episode a couple back where I accidentally referred to it as the crystal bathroom. Uh, <laughs> you haven't sent me any angry emails, so I'm assuming you didn't. That's listen. the first one. Yeah. Thanks <laughs> the for that. Flub of the tongue. I probably had too much coffee and I needed to get to the bathroom, but uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Anyways, <laughs> that is totally awesome. <laughs> this has been the at you two podcast at you com is the website, twitter.com slash atu2, facebook.com slash atu2com. Uh, in future days, we might future episodes, we might try and uh, stream out to the old Facebook machine if we can figure out how to hook up all the smokestacks and and things. And uh, you can find the episodes, past episodes of this podcast at goodstuff.fm slash ATU2. I think that's it for this episode. We'll be back actually sort of with a part two of this in a sense with some other folks who've been to the show and, and a couple who haven't yet, um, who I think are going to be seeing it for the first time in Europe possibly. And, and we'll see who all... Uh, shows up but uh, so if you have questions or about the show anything at all related to the show from the GA lineup stuff to uh, where to stand to catch a pick from Dallas and all that kind of stuff send it in hashtag ask at you too on Twitter or send uh, Mason a smoke signal and he'll relay that to me and uh, we'll get that on a future episode so in the meantime thank you for listening hope you have a great day adios <laughs>